Welcome to The Network, our attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. If you don't know anything about the Green Book, I invite you to Google it. With each interview, we are building a network of talented professionals that you can reach out and touch. Every episode is an invaluable resource for black people living in and traveling through America. Subscribe to The Network. You may need it. Part of the resistance is black joy. Part of the resistance is happiness. I've made choices about what I'm going to give my energy to. Like, I'm going to still continue the, the fight for you know, rights and justice, but I'm also going to live happy. I'm also going to enjoy my kids. I'm also going to travel. I'm also going, I'm going to have black joy and I'm going to have um, black happiness because I believe that's a form of resistance as well. Today's guest is Carrie Landry Thomas. I have known this young lady for a long time, since we were kids. We went to elementary school together. She is currently the Director of Career Services and the Title IX Coordinator at the Southern University Law Center. Welcome to the network, Carrie. How are you today? Thank you. I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. You are always one of the smartest people I know. So I know you're going to bless us and enlighten us today um, on the network. So let's dive right in. Like I told you before, tell us who you are, who's Carrie, give us some of your background, where you grew up, what your childhood was like, all of those good things. All right. Well, great. Uh, well, like you said, we go way back. So I am born and raised in Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, love, love, love my hometown. I'm currently living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is interesting because I never thought I would uh, end up here. But, uh, you know, I'm the eldest daughter of Bunny or Jeffrey Landry Jr., as many people knew him in Lafayette in Maryland. Uh, today is my mom's birthday, actually, so celebrating that here in Baton Rouge. Um, okay, happy birthday, mom. Yeah, it's a blessing. Uh, you know, she was diagnosed with cancer, so it is a blessing to have her another year. Thankful for it. And, yeah, I'm married. Uh, oh, my goodness. I think it's going to be 17 years, 16 years in December. This December, I have two kids, a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, and they keep me on my toes. And yeah, you know, practicing attorney by trade, but, you know, as I've gotten older, I just have a lot of different interests. So uh, I say I'm a practicing attorney by trade, but I like to do other things. So I think I'm multifaceted. Okay. Okay. So, so what are some of those other things that you like to do? So one of my interests is educational policy. I'm an avid reader, uh, really interested in um, public education and how we're educating uh, our young people. So that's something that I do on the side, really try to be active in my community when it comes to public education. And as I've gotten older, I've really gotten a real interest in business and entrepreneurship. And so really trying to explore that. So um about what 2017 I moved to Los Angeles I had a job there as assistant general counsel at this performing arts college 
And while there, just really started dibble, you know, dabbling in freelance work and doing things on the side. And so when I moved back to Baton Rouge, because of my mom's health, I, I do a lot of freelance stuff on the side. So I help people with expungements. I have an expungement clinic. Uh, I also started a um, selfie booth business for parties and graduations. And more recently, I'm looking in doing freelance work with my Title IX expertise. So, you know, really just trying to do a bunch of things. Um, the one thing that I've always had an interest in that I just haven't uh, sat down and done it, even though the pandemic gave me plenty of opportunity, is writing and uh, really uh, doing more writing. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll explore that. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, so it's a whole lot to do. So tell me, I, I'm I'm an educator. I, I'm an educator on the high school level. So talk to me about your work in educational policy. I'm I'm really interested in hearing about what type of work you're doing there. So so what are some of the things you see? What are some of the challenges? What what are you and the people you work with? What are y'all trying to do there? So really, I participate in a parental uh, group of public school parent. You know, parents who have students in public schools here in Baton Rouge and really try to advocate on a grassroots level at the school board. Um, I know a, a couple years ago we had a, a, some big issues with uh, the local uh, legislature trying to change the way schools were operated and really my view was and in the, in the view of the, the parent group that I was working with was that it was really changing it in favor of charters um, and I'm going to go on the record and say that I'm not against charters, but I am against the way funding is allocated once charters enter into a space. Um, and so what was happening was charters were starting to enter into the local landscape here in Baton Rouge more and more. And they, the legislators was trying to change the way money was allocated, which would have been detrimental to many of the longstanding public schools. And so advocated, um, spoke at the legislature, legislature against it. Uh, I think there's a video of it. So that was kind of my entry point. And then just as a parent, really staying really active with my, my kids in their, in their schools, in the school district, um, as my kids have moved or starting to move out of elementary school, I have a son in middle school. I was really, really active in his middle school uh, as the parent liaison with the school. I, I was disappointed because I did feel, and I still do feel, as if the, the large systems that we have in place are very difficult to change in a timely and efficient manner. And the reason why I mm -hmm. say that is because, you know, they'll they'll have policies that are being made. Uh, at the highest level, but the impact on the ground is just, it's not working. And in order to get some of those things changed, it's not easy. And so it was just kind of frustrating. Um, I stepped back for a while, but uh, I do continue to operate in that space because I do think, I think this time with the pandemic and all the issues that school districts ha are having, uh, trying to change and trying to use technology and just trying to figure out the best way I think to, you know, to operate during the pandemic, I think it gives us an opportunity. I hope and pray that people are starting to sit still and think about the differences and the opportunities that we can have uh, with education, but I'm, I, I, I'm gonna remain hopeful. I'm gonna remain hopeful. 
that's what I'm going to say about that. Yeah, you know, I, I think, so one, I'm going to go back to the, because the charter schools, because I keep an eye, you know, Louisiana is home. I'm, I'm here in Texas. Right. I've been here 20 years now, but Lafayette is home. Um, I lived in Baton Rouge for five years, you know, during college uh, before I came to Texas. So I keep my ear to the ground on the things that are going there. So I do agree with charter schools. I, I believe with school, you know, I agree with school choice. I, I'm with you on, I do not agree on how those schools are funded because we both know um, what's going to happen is going to be very similar to what happened in the rollout of Brown v. Board. Right. You know, so the schools in our communities were closed. Teachers lost jobs. Um, there was inadequate funding. Every year in Texas, um, we're fighting over school funding here in Texas, right. you know, and, and the way schools are funded here in Texas, because property taxes, for the most part, fund school districts. And you know that it's it's not equitable. Right. You know, thing, things are not equitable. Right. So um, I think that's good work. I think that's very honorable work. Um, I wish I had known. Go ahead. It's frustrating work because part of it for me is that at this juncture in my life, you know, I guess I guess I can see I'm almost middle age to see some of the same issues um, still here. And, and in some cases getting worse when it comes to education, public education, segregation. Um, it, it's it's frustrating, but it's much needed. You know, we still have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, the pandemic highlighted, you know, some of those inadequacies, some of those inequities, um, because if you didn't have Internet access. So I don't know if you saw the picture, but it, it kind of went viral as two kids sitting on the curb at Taco Bell mm-hmm. because they didn't have, you know, Internet access. So that's right. where they had to go, you know, in order to to, to get their Internet access. So right. the hopefully. And I, I talk about this frequently with my friends in education. Education should look different on the other side of this. I don't know if we are heading in that direction, though. But it should it should look different on the other side. Right, of this. and that's and that's what I hope. That's my hope that it looks different. I I know it is going to look different because there's no way to go back to what we had before. There will be some changes. It, that just we just won't go back. Um, hopefully, it's it's positive, right? Hopefully, it's a it's in a positive direction. And uh, but you know the the system likes to correct self correct itself back to where it was with some of the same issues. And so hopefully, we can make some changes. That you know that's that's the way I feel about that. That hopefully we can make some changes, some positive changes. Well, keep keep fighting the good fight because we need people like you, you know, who who are constantly fighting that good fight. You mentioned um, you wanted to do some writing. T- tell me about that. What 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 type of writing? What topics? So I a few years ago, you know, I was in, I went to law school, and so I have to write. But I became interested in the intersection of race and class and justice and education. And so I did uh, begin 
and do, I did do some writing, really more along the line for like law review, law journals. Um, interesting enough, a few years ago, I wrote this article. I haven't gotten it published yet, but I did have a couple interests. I just need to sit down and rework it. And it was on race and class and justice because for several years I practiced as a public defender in Baton Rouge. And so a lot of the things that people are talking about now, I remember raising these are these arguments in court, you know, how we're, how we're now looking at uh, drug addiction as a public health situation instead of a criminal one, you know, that yeah. that's, this is a long time coming. So I did dabble in writing for law journals and uh, you know, law reviews in that, that area. But now I think I'd like to do more of uh, maybe narrative writing instead of the, very draining law, law aspect, law writing, and do more mm -hmm. of narrative writing. So I don't know, I'm just, you know, the pandemic has, I think has us all sitting with ourselves and just trying to figure out what, what, you know, what things we would change in our lives or what things we'd like to do, really making us evaluate and self-reflect. And so, you know, I'm just kind of throwing out some ideas of maybe just some narrative writing. Is some something I'd like to pursue moving forward as a side thing, not anything. Uh, you know, I don't want to be an author, but as a side, some side work. Why do you, in your opinion, in your opinion, mm -hmm. why are we just hitting the same issues over and over and over? Because you you made mention of it, you know, with the educational policy, and then you made mention of it again, you know, with the substance abuse. You know, once it was criminal, now it's this, you know, but that was years ago. Right. And now we're having these same conversations. Why? Why Why aren't we getting any traction? Why isn't, why aren't we seeing change at a rapid rate? Incremental change is not, it doesn't work. Right. So in your opinion, what can we do? Why aren't things changing faster? And, and what can we do to maybe speed them up? I, I don't know. In in my opinion, um, looking at it from a historical uh, standpoint and then where we are now, in my opinion, I believe that we as a country have not addressed our, uh, our racial inequities and our um, belief systems that are implanted in, our, in, our, in, in, er in every area of American life, the racial injustices and our views on race um, really, really does impact us moving forward and making changes. And I always laugh because, you know, I'll read something and it'll say, oh, the best education system is in Finland. And, oh, my goodness, the happiest people are in Sweden. And they all, you know, everybody's just doing well. And, it's, and then I say to myself, yeah, but those communities are basically look alike. And right. you you think about it, and you say, well, it's easy if my com if everybody in my community looks like me and acts like me and thinks like me. Of course, I wouldn't have a problem with making policies that would benefit all of us because we're all the same. It's much harder in America, in my viewpoint, because we have the history of racism and we have not addressed it honestly, and so it makes it much harder to have policies that create equity for everyone when. A lot of times we're still trying to keep certain people from getting certain progresses. So you can't. So you 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 make policies that you know are going to exclude people. 
And uh, in my opinion, it is because we have not grappled with our history um, of race and racism. And it is pervasive in literally everything, every decision, including on the local levels, the national levels. It really is permeating everything. And until we address it, I think that we are going to see these same issues continue. I don't know how else to say it. I, I, you know, what I have found, though, and what I've said to myself is that. Enjoying this episode so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Radio Public, or Pocket Casts. Now back to the show. I am not going to let racism and the issues that we face here in America, which, you know, can be a lot, especially having to see this at my age again, thinking some of this stuff was resolved. Um, part of the resistance is black joy. Part of the resistance is happiness. Um, and so I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I, be- I believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, he didn't put me on the earth to spend my whole life you know, having to necessarily fight this battle the whole time. And so I I make choices every day that there's some things that I'm just not going to give my energy anymore, you know, because it can be, it, it, is, it is so overwhelming sometimes all the issues that we face as a black community, as, you know, people of color in America, as, you know, and I'm, I've made choices about what I'm going to give my energy to. Like, I'm going to still continue the, the fight for, you know, rights and justice, but I'm also going to live happy. I'm also going to enjoy my kids. I'm also going to travel. I'm also going, I'm going to have black joy and I'm going to have um, black happiness because I believe that's a form of resistance as well. So I think that everyone should pick their battles and uh, also find joy and happiness in the life that we are living. That's good advice. Let, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Lovecraft Country? I have not, but I've heard a whole lot about it and it's on my to-do list. But uh, to be honest, we we got rid of some of the major networks and just okay. kept, you know, we were like, oh, we don't really need all that. We'll just keep Hulu. But now I'm, we're, we're talking about getting, I think it's what, HBO Max? Is this on HBO? HBO? Yeah. Because- yeah. Every friend of mine has talked about it. Every person I know has talked about it. And so it's on our to to, to watch list. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. I'm actually going back and watching it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I really wanted to ask you something um, about a situation that dealt with one of the characters. But it's an excellent conversation piece. It's an excellent conversation piece. And and especially, you know, being that you you had three minors, African-American history, business and history. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you'll love it. I'm I'm kind of a, I'm into science fiction. So, you know, it's a little sci-fi. I am but, too. I'm into science fiction as well. But it's it's rich. It, it is so rich and it, it's so well written. But I'm not going to give you any spoilers. I, I'm not. I'm not going to do any spoilers here. Oh. Okay, so that's good. I, I really like that you said that black joy and black happiness 
are a form of resistance. That's good. That's I'm I'm pinning that. You you probably um gonna see that again somewhere. I'm gonna give you credit. I'm gonna give you credit for it when, when you see it on my social media the first time. After that, people are gonna be like, oh that's so good. Where'd you get it from? And I'm gonna tell them that I stole it. Um but that's good. Black joy and black happiness are forms of resistance. I hope y'all got that. All right. So Carrie tell us what is your why? What are you passionate about? Um Tell us what what do you stand for and what are the experiences that have shaped you and led you to where you are right now? Wow. That's interesting because, you know, I am still answering that every day. So, you know, I have my my big why is my family. Right. I love my uh, husband and my kids and my uh, immediate family. And so they're my big why. Um, but you know, I really, again, I'm emphasizing this and maybe it's the the situation with the pandemic that makes me self-reflect, but I'm getting older and I really want to make sure and better. I believe that. Yes, I definitely, um, but I definitely want to leave this earth place in, um, with some impact. And I mean, that doesn't mean I need to be the president of the United States or an actor or anything. You know, people think you have to be big things. And so I do, it's little things, right? Like, so I go to my job every day and I said, I'm going to impact at least one student today. If I can get impact one student in this role, then that's a positive, right? I'm impacting where I am, my place in space in a positive way. And so um, I don't know. I'm still answering that question every day. So my big why would be my family. Um, but it changes, right? Because when I was young, when I was younger, excuse me, when I was younger, it was, oh, I, I just had this belief that there was this straight path to uh, success, right? Oh, I'm going to get the good grades. And, and I did. Oh, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to, you know, get good grades there. Then I'm going to get the job. I'm gonna get the husband, get the kids. Um, and then I'm going to, that's going to be my success. And the realization that it's not a straight path, the realization that in, in fact, I, I, as I talk to my students, when I do professional development speech, uh, speeches with them, I talk to them and I let them know that it's not a straight path. Like it's good to veer off. It's good to find um, different interests in your life because we only, we really do only have one life on earth and, you know, live it. And a lot of times I, you know, I think about this, you know, often as an old, as, you know, as I've gotten older, like the systems that have been put in place that make us think that this is, that there are certain things that we have to do in a, in a certain way that we have to do it. And I'm like, no, that's not true. You know, it's, it's so not true. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have multiple yeah. interests it's okay to have multiple employment opportunities. It's okay to do di- things differently. It's okay to do something at 20 and then at 30 and then at 40 differently. And so, um, I don't know, my path is, is it's not straight. It, it wasn't straight. And I always try to tell the people that I come in contact with in my role, in my employment, that it's not a straight path and it doesn't have to be that way. And, um, so I don't know. It's changing often. I'm uh, still changing, you know. So I have the grounding that I have, my faith, my family. Yeah. Those are the things that ground me. Like you know, that's my why when I get up in the morning. 
thanking God for my life, thanking God for my family. Um, but the, the why is I just want to make a, a, a positive impact on this earth while I'm here. And so that can be in different forms and different ways. Sometimes it's a simple smile at someone. It's a simple hello or good morning to people. Um, it can be little things like that that I try to do every day um, to impact positively the place and space that I'm in. That, that's good. So I, I wonder, you know, I was, I was as I was listening to you talk, mm-hmm. um, we do kind of figure out that this thing is not a straight line like we thought it would be. Um, were your parents um, very strict academically? Interestingly, no. And I think that was just the time. So my parents were, they valued education. They definitely valued education. I definitely felt supported throughout my, you know, school years. Um, my mom got, my sisters, each, three of us, we each got to go to college. You know, my mom helped us with the paperwork. So they all, they both valued education. My dad was very big on uh, education, big on experiences. But as far as strict, no. And I think that was just the time that we were growing up in. It wasn't the way that we parent now is not the way that they parent back then, right? It wasn't the same thing. So they gave us uh, they they gave us the the values, but they kind of left us to our own devices, right? So they weren't very watch over your shoulder, you know, what's going on with you at every juncture, kind of like we do now, and most parents are doing now. Um, but I always felt valued and supported, and I always felt that education was important. And so um that's interesting no they weren't strict but they valued it and they let us know that they valued it which is important yeah because i i you know just listening to you you know um like i like i told you i'm while i'm the host of the podcast i'm really the student because i learned so much from everybody who you know who's here so i'm listening to you and i'm just reflecting and thinking um you know what what are some of the things that have us thinking that, okay, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D, and then E is going to happen because that's what's supposed to happen next. Right. So it just, it just made me think, you know, because I know as a young kid, um, it was like school. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get good grades. And then when it was like, when real life started happening around school and grades, I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Yes. Um, I made good grades. Not now. What now? What's supposed to happen? Okay, I got a degree. Now what's supposed yes. to happen? Yes. I got a master's degree. Now what's supposed to happen? Yep. Um, I don't know. Just maybe makes me. I think felt about the same it. way. I mean, I went, you know, undergrad. Then I went to law school, and you, and there still was this question: Okay, what am I supposed to do now? And so, yeah. it. And it's funny. I'm gonna sidetrack and talk about my husband for a second. So he was um, a football player in college. He went to Vanderbilt. He and he said he chose Vanderbilt because he just knew it was just going to give him a leg up, right? Like a leg up in the world. He went, graduated there, got a PhD. Actually, he has two PhDs. Um, taught at Southern for like 20 years in business. And he was like, he literally just quit a tenured professorship and opened up a barbecue restaurant. And he said that, if he knew now what he, uh, if he knew then what he knows now that he would have pursued some of his real interests, which was cooking. 
he loves historical context. So he loves reading, loves historical context. And he's and we often talk and we're like, why is it that we were that we're all so scared to pursue um the things that we really had an interest in and we thought going to school and doing all these checking off these boxes was gonna get us what we wanted. And I still try to answer that question because of course you want the next generation to be able to have all the freedoms that you that in my mind I feel like maybe I didn't have. Like I thought doing all these things but was that my real interest, right? And like, how do I impress upon my children that I want them to be, of course, we value education, right? Big time. But right, value right. your education, but also find a space to to be curious about other things that you have an interest in and know that you can, that can still be a good life. You know, it's, I don't know. I think, I think about that often when, like I said, my husband and I talk about it all the time because of his views on his choices and then also my views I don't think I even knew what it is that I had an interest in right because it was just like I need to do good in school I need to do really well in school I need to and so I did that but I didn't really take the time um to think it through and I can give an example so I initially wanted to study uh, anthropology because I was like oh I'd love to do some type of in the field work sociology like looking at um, history, but looking at cultures. And then I said to myself, Carrie, you know, not one black person who is making a living being, you know, a anthropologist or, you know, doing these things. And I completely changed my trajectory. I was like, I cannot do that. Right. And so I just think about, I think about that. And so it feeds into my current role as uh, director of career services, because when I meet students at the law center, I make it a point to try to expose them to so much. I, I mean, I think sometimes they're like, okay, you're exposing us to a lot. I give, I, okay. I expose them to yeah. all types of opportunities because I know that if you know the different things that you can do, that you'll find your interests and, it, and it'll take you where you, where you want to be. But that that is so interesting, you know, because we get um, not all of us, but I think I, I wonder if this is it. I wonder if this is it. Sometimes we get told that education is the key. But we don't know to ask the follow up question, the key to what? Right. You know, the key to what I am. I call myself the anti educator because I've had kids before who like, man, school is not for me. And I'm like, okay, what's for you? Then what what is for you? Right. Let me tell you how you can take advantage of school. So if you're going to wake up early in the morning and come here, every teacher on your schedule has an obligation to give you free knowledge. They have to give you all the information that they know, you know, especially in a public school setting. Right. So I, I wonder if we knew to ask the follow-up question. So education is the key. Okay, well, the, the key to what? Right. You know, because um, I think we do at times, um, you probably would have been a great anthropologist, you know, but I, I think because we don't, you know, see ourselves there, yeah. you know, we don't know about the opportunity. So that's good that you're exposing um, those students at the law center to those opportunities because, you know, education is key. But sometimes I wonder if it's always like a formal education. Right. You know, oh, I think the because same all thing. these books, yeah, you know, all of these books that, you know, you're going to end up reading, they're in a used bookstore. Yep. They're at Barnes and Noble. 
you know, they're at the mom and pop bookshop down on the corner. Yep. So I don't know. That that's good stuff. That's we good have, stuff. I mean, we I have Vanderbilt. a room for the books. And when I tell you I'm still it's just so much I'm learning. Um and so much that I didn't I felt like and you can't it's you can't learn everything in in a formal school setting. So I wanna be clear that I'm not right. like mad that I didn't learn certain things because you can't. You know, right? You have to have you have to have a lifelong uh, want of learning. And that's kind of what I try to teach my kids, right? And what I try to to talk to the students, the law students, they're all adults, but you have to have a life. You have to want to learn throughout your life. And so there's still things that I read about now that I'm like, man, I definitely didn't learn in school that I'm learning about or know about. And it really comes from reading, just reading and being exposed to just different ideas. And so I'm with you. I don't know at this juncture, if formal education, if, if everybody has to be pushed to formal education, I do believe that everybody should um, be made aware that anything you want to learn, you can, and that, you know, reading is, is, is important. And, you know, it'll open up doors for you that you may not, even if you don't get it in school, you can still learn it and you can still do it and you can still, you know, get exposed to it. So. That's it. That's it. So. You mentioned reading a couple of times. We're going to get to your recommended book list in just a second. But before we get there, um, tell us what, if there's anything, what keeps you up at night? Uh, The social justice issues are keeping me up at night. Black Lives Matter, social justice, America's lack of dealing with uh, the racial inequities, the racial injustices. It it does keep me up at night. Um, Not every night. But, you know, I have a son. I have a daughter as well. So, you know, there she's not excluded either. But and I have a husband and say to myself, I mean, I cannot believe it's 2020 and we are dealing with the same issues that I remember growing up and reading about 1965, you know, 1964, the civil rights movement before that. Right. And those issues keep me up because I'm like, will we ever get it right? And not only will we ever get it right, these these issues really do impact my family. They really do impact the black community. It's funny because my husband and I were talking today about the change. So my husband's from Memphis. He's not even from Louisiana. So he was just reflecting on the change that he's seen in North Lafayette from the time that we met to now. And he's like the disinvestment and the you know the issues that North Lafayette, North Side, you know Upper Lafayette, whatever we're calling it these days, the disinvestment and the impact on the community that he's seen just since we've been together, yeah. and and I said you know these are real issues you know lack disinvestment in communities of color, of uh, lack of. Uh, you know, social justice in our communities, like these are really impactful on me personally. And it keeps me up at night. It really does. I think one of the reasons why I haven't moved back to Lafayette as much as I love it, because I actually prefer Lafayette over Baton Rouge uh, because of family, is because I get overwhelmed with what I see as far as the, you know, just the policies that are just in your face racist are the policies that are really disinvesting in the community that I grew up in and that I love 
and the impact that it has. And so that really, it really does bother me. It really does. Let me ask you about this. Um, when we were in high school, Holy Rosary, Holy Rosary, I think their last graduating class had like maybe 15 people. And I always wondered, so I would hear stories about Holy Rosary, you know, about how thriving the school was in the community. And then by the time, you know, we're in school, you know, Holy Rosary is this this small school, small Catholic school in Lafayette. Um, But I I would just kind of ask people and just kind of talk. And I was like, so why didn't we... So for the families that graduated, and this is not an indictment, I I really wonder, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Why didn't the families that graduated from Holy Rosary, why didn't their kids go to Holy Rosary versus a Turlins or a St. Thomas More? Right. What What do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, that's an interesting question. I think that I guess I can just be honest. I think that as black people, sometimes we think that the ice is colder somewhere else. Sometimes the white we think ice is colder. <laughs> white people's ice is colder, okay? Yeah, you you said it. We think the ice is colder. We think the situation is better. Um it's it's pretty it's a lot of the reason why a lot of black businesses don't are not successful. The black dollar is hard. The black dollar is hard because, you know, a lot of times we just think it's better somewhere else. And I think that that is, that was one of the issues with Rosary. I also think that the diocese didn't invest in it. And so it probably was better to go to Turlins because it was probably better funded. Or it was better to go to St. Thomas More because mm-hmm. it was better funded. They had, you know, they had all the things that they needed. So it was kind of twofold. I think that if you start as black people, if you start pulling yourself away, when they started pulling themselves away from um, Holy Rosary, that it didn't, you weren't advocating for it. You weren't forcing the diocese to do what they needed to do because you were pulling away and, you know, you, do, you were diminishing your your power to advocate and fight for it. And then the diocese on that portion, they were pulling away and disinvesting in rosary as well for whatever the reasons were. And so I think it was twofold, but I think that's an ongoing issue with uh, Black communities and the power that we feel we have or don't have. And, you know, how do we advocate for ourselves? Yeah, it, it is... That, that's a stressful issue for me as an I'm an HBCU graduate and both of my sons um, are in college now and neither one of them seriously considered going to an HBCU. Right. And I'm going to be honest with you. I felt some kind of way about it, um, right. you know, because I'm like, well, you know, invest in your own, invest in your own. Um you know, and I'd have conversations, you know, I tell my wife, I was like, man, we should have gave them more choices, but made all of the choices HBCUs, <laughs> you know, and so we kind of have some disagreement there. Um, but I, I understand we have the same situation in our house. <laughs> well, our kids are not there know. yet, but we've had the same 
conversations about HBCUs versus PWIs. And I am an advocate for HBCUs because I, I do believe that there is there is something special there. It offers students something extra. And it's not always about the resources. It's about, in my view, a community where you feel safe, a community where you feel valued. Um, and I think that's, that's, that helps with, with young people's self-confidence and the things that they believe they can do. My husband, on the other hand, is an advocate for PWIs because he believes that, and he, and he understands because he's worked in administration, the resources. He's like the amount of resources that some of those schools get, you know, it just gives our kids a better, better exposure to things that they're going to need to be successful. So we have the same conversations. I think it's just a complicated uh, situation because, I mean, you can look and see the discrepancies on this face. Like, I mean, you can do that here in Baton Rouge and see LSU and Southern. I mean, if you're a college yeah. student and I'm thinking maybe your your children, you know, your college student, college age children were like, look, I can go to this school and have all access to all of this stuff around me. Like I can be a real college student. Versus going to um, a school that it, it's really deprived. You know, we really don't have access to everything, and it's it's, yeah. it's complicated. It, it it is. I wish you know if I could just throw a, a coin down the wishing well. Um, I, I wish our schools had those resources. Mm-hmm. We need to fa- we need to find a way. As an HBCU graduate, um, we need to find a way to make sure our schools have those resources as, as alumni, you know, we can definitely do better. Um, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Now. No, we're not. We're not. But we but, can leave off on a positive note on that, which is that HBCUs with less do amazing, amazing work with less. 1,000% they do. agree. 1,000% agree. I, yeah. when I left Southern university, I was prepared for whatever was next. Okay, so yeah. now let's talk about books, oh my goodness. music, and podcasts. Tell us, you are a lover of books, an avid reader. What are you reading right now? So I have a couple books I'm reading right now. One is How I Built This by Guy Raz. It's also the po- one of my podcasts. I really like him on NPR. This book is pretty okay. good. You know, like I said, I'm really trying to explore entrepreneurship and um, what what does that look like? And so that's a really good book. It's easy to read, and it's just it's, it gives you insight into a lot of successful entrepreneurs and some of their backgrounds. So I really like that one. I'm reading one now called Live Love Now, and relieving the pressure and finding real connections with our kids. You know, I really. I have a close relationship with my kids, but I am really struggling with uh, the use of technology. I'm struggling with uh, you know, how how are our kids growing up in a society that they don't know anything else but the use of technology. And so really yeah. just trying to, the book is really well written, gives some really good strategies on connecting, um, you know, staying connected with your kids outside of the use of technology and so it's a really good one. I'm really enjoying that one. I'm almost finished. And then the one of the last ones I'm reading right now is it's called Wandering in Strange Lands 
and a daughter of the Great Migration reclaims her roots. And it's about this woman backtracking um, from New Jersey to her to the to the, the migration that her parent, her grandparents and her parents took to get to New Jersey. And one chapter actually talks about her going to Lafayette, Louisiana, to uh, Festival International. And so she has a, a tr- talk about that because uh, her dad's family turns out we're from St. Martin, the St. Martin area. And so it's just okay. a really good book about going backwards and trying to explore the reasons why her uh, her parents left and the historical connection to the places, the South. And uh, so that's a really good one as well. So that's the three that I'm reading right now. And uh, every now and then I'll pop in a new one. Uh, but right now I'm just finishing these three. Okay. Is there one book that you've read that you would absolutely recommend? Like you got to read this book. Is there one? Oh my goodness. Becoming by Michelle Obama was okay. amazing. And then anything by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I'm trying to get my son right now to read Between the World and Me. Um, but Becoming really was, I, I just really enjoyed her book. I think it gave just so much insight into Michelle Obama and it was just such an encouraging read. So Becoming by Michelle Obama was a, was my one of my absolute favorites. All right. Recommended podcast. Tell us what, what are you listening to? So I'm going to give a shout out to one of my, one of my friends, Goalie, and she has one called Lessons from a Quitter. And when I was in Los Angeles, I was in a reading group with the, some, some other African-American women and many of them were lawyers. And so it was funny because we'd all like one of them mentioned, like, you should really listen to this podcast. It's called Lessons from a Quitter. And so it's one of my favorites. And basically Goldie goes through this, her journey, and she talks to other people whom, you know, initially they were lawyers or doctors or whatever their big wig job was. And they realized that they didn't want to do that. And so they decided to make a change. And, you know, some of them became business owners. Some of them wrote books. Some of them did whatever. They did positive things and made changes in their life. And she talks about the journey. Um, for people to make that realization that just because you're a lawyer and you've made this amount of money and you've done this much schooling, that doesn't mean that you have to do that forever. So that's a really yeah. good one. It's one of my favorites. Of course, how I built this podcast is uh, it's a good one. 1A, which is NPR. Kind of listen to that one often. Another one, Side Hustle Pro. The reason why I like this one is because it focuses on black entrepreneurs which a lot of podcasts kind of overlook the the actual Mm -hmm. significant real issues that black entrepreneurs face, right? Because it's not always the same thing. Fund getting funding, um, you know, those things, it's not, it's not not the same. And so side hustle pro does a good job of talking about those particular issues. Um, I'm I'm adding them to my, (laughs) to my, you can't really see it on the camera, but I'm adding that one and lessons from a quitter right now oh yeah yeah two good ones side hustle pro is a good one uh and then this is the one i do on the side i like crime junkie okay it's, it's a uh you know it's one of those what you call it uh true crime but it's a really good one because it's like 30 minutes long and so it's not too long and you know crime junkie you're, i think and, you're the third or fourth person to recommend that one. Oh yeah it's pretty so i'm gonna add that one too 
And then recently I read, I was listening to one, Nice White Parents, which talks about uh, the desegregation of a particular school in uh, Brooklyn, I think it's Brooklyn, New York, and the realization of the pretty much liberal white parents and the impact that they actually had on the segregation and desegregation of the particular school. Okay, okay. I think I might have heard of that one. I think my wife might listen to that one. Yeah, nice white parents. Nice white parents. Mm -hmm. And then anything on NPR, I like On Point, Code Switch. Mm -hmm. So those are... Code code Switch is on my list. I like Code Switch. I like Code Switch. And On Point, so... Okay. All right. We're going to save the best recommendeds for last. So tell us, this is recommended music. What are you listening to? Oh my goodness. All old school, 80s, 90s, literally all old school hip hop, R&B. I mean, I don't even listen to the radio anymore. I just have a serious, the Sirius XM channel and listen to, you know, I think like what, Fly. Every now and then I'll listen to some new hip hop, but I'm not really a big fan of everything more current so everything is old school i'm not gonna lie i'll put on pandora if i have to and listen to mint condition or erica badu or you know just old school hip-hop r&b the good stuff that's the good stuff oh yeah i mean and the thing is that i like all types of music so i like country music i like uh classic jazz but old school hip-hop and r&b is where it's at that that's where it's at. I, I'm we're we're probably biased, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, um, I'll take. So my brother-in-law is uh, maybe like five or six years younger than me, uh-huh. and so we we have this. Actually, I don't debate with him anymore, <laughs> but he thinks that um, what, what is the group Cisco was in? Um, oh yes. Oh oh my goodness. See, we can't even think of the name. I can't of it, even think of the he, name. He thinks they are the best R and B group oh, ever. Oh no, no, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. don't debate anymore. That you have to leave that right where that's at. No, Mm-mm. I'm just like, dude, you you need to stop. You need to stop. Okay, this <laughs> brings stop. us to our last segment. It, uh, he's terrible. He's terrible, Carrie. All right, all right. This segment is called Rapid Fire. I'm gonna try to keep you on your toes here. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Describe yourself as a teenager in three words. Okay. Nerdy, loyal, and observant. Dark meat or white meat? White meat. Apple or Android? Apple. You taking the elevator or the stairs? The stairs. All right. Texting or talking? I hate it, but it's going to be texting. Okay. What does a person need to be happy? I think a person needs self-love and I also think family. Okay. If you could ask God one question, one question only, what would it be? Okay. This is a bit selfish, but I would ask God, what does he want me to do? Or what, what does he want me to do? Okay. Okay. I I really don't think that's selfish though. I think that's uh, the servant in you. I think that's the servant in you. I like that. I like that. Yeah. All right. Three questions left. Okay. Who would you rather be best friends with? BFFs 
forever, Beyonce or Rihanna? I'll say Beyonce. Okay, member of the Beehive. (laughs) Polka dots or stripes? Stripes. All right. And if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? I would like to fly. And part of that is because I love to travel. And the other part is, you know, when I look around the world and see people going through things, I think it would be a helpful superpower to have that could maybe help others. So it's fine. Okay. And and again, that's that servant in you because... I was thinking about, let me fly home real quick and get some work. <laughs> so, so much better than I am. Carrie, thank you so much for participating in Rapid Fire. Thank you, Michael. So this brings <laughs> us to our last segment. It is entitled, okay. You Didn't Ask. You Didn't Ask. This is the segment in which you can share any unsolicited advice that you would like to share with our listeners. So... What would you like to share for you didn't ask? I would like to share. It is so okay to leave your mama's house, to leave Louisiana, to or wherever you are, wherever your home is. It's okay to try new things. It's okay to go where the opportunities are. It's okay to travel. Uh, I meet so many young people in my role that, I mean, their feet are planted. And I'm like... You are an amazing student and there are opportunities begging and waiting for you, but you cannot be too scared to make, to take, to take those opportunities. And so I definitely want to say, don't be scared to leave mama's house, big mama's house, wherever you're from, it's okay to leave the hometown, venture off, try new things. You can always come back. And hey, that's right. That. That's good advice. Um, <laughs> I once heard somebody say that people won't leave Louisiana because the rice dressing is so good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It really is. That really is. Uh, that does impact people's decision. Like food. I mean, I've literally heard people say, I can't go over here because I just, I can't miss the food. And I'm going to throw this out here for my best friend, Crystal Benjamin. Uh, she, when she lived in D.C., when she was doing her residency at Georgetown, this sister would keep a bottle of Tabasco in her purse for when she would go to restaurants in D.C. because the food was so bland in her mind. And this was way before Beyonce keeping this swag in her purse and all this. This was serious. It's like, a real thing, Crystal it's a real thing. Tabasco in her purse in D.C., yes. It is a real thing. Yes, it is. Carrie, Thomas, it has been wonderful. Thank you for sharing with us today. I truly appreciate it. Welcome to the network. Thank you so much. I truly enjoyed it.